Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to know you because of the amazing grace that you demonstrated in sending Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, to this earth. I pray that you would speak today, now through your word, through grace and power and clarity, a voice, mind, anointing of the Holy Spirit. Give us hearts to receive your word and apply it to our lives. Lift up the name of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Way back in 1947, William Camillo, a bus driver in the Bronx, got behind the wheel of his New York City bus, and instead of following his usual routes, he took off for Florida. 1,300 miles in the wrong direction. Can you imagine? There was an all-points bulletin put out for this missing bus. True story. But no one reported any sign of seeing him. After two weeks of living in and driving around in that bus, he apparently ran out of money and wired back to the office asking for $50. $50 went further in 1947 than it does today. However, that put the law on track to know where he was. and Detectives were then dispatched to pick him up. This bus driver had been working for the same bus company for 16 years. He had a wife and three children, but he just up and left. But why? Why did he do it? Why did he just drive off and leave? His answers included he was tired of the monotony. Driving in New York City, he said, was like driving in a squirrel cage. Ever been to New York City? Maybe you understand. And he just wanted to get away from everything. Ever want to get away? I heard somewhere that one out of every three people is weird. Look at the person on your right. Look at the person on your left. If they don't seem weird, it's you. I'm glad I'm not sitting by my wife and daughter right now because I know what they would be thinking and they would probably be right. People can be weird and people are controlling. You know any controllers? Raise your hand if you're a controller. Got a few. Raise your hand if you're married to a controller. Wow. And some of you couldn't even raise your hand because the controller was holding it down, right? (laughs) We hear the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. It was dysfunctional. A church where false teachers hated the Apostle Paul so much and they wanted control. Paul probably wouldn't have minded so much, but... 
They were teaching false doctrine along with slandering him. One of the doctrines they likely believed was Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a complicated false doctrine, but at the core of it, there's this belief that the spiritual, and the spirit is good, but the physical, the, the physical body is bad. And so Gnostics would say that Jesus really didn't come to this earth physically and die on a cross physically and raise from the dead physically because the physical was evil and Jesus couldn't have been God who came in flesh because the flesh was evil. And Gnostics were in opposition to the correct doctrine that we see in Scripture. There are also legalists in some of the New Testament churches, likely in the one at Corinth. And the legalists believe that Jesus really wasn't all you needed. You also had to become a Jew by the way that you lived, by keeping all of the Old Testament laws in addition to believing in Jesus. And these false teachers had come in and deliberately told lies about Paul. You ever had anybody lie about you? And they tried to discredit him. And they got personal. Not only is this Paul guy a lousy preacher, he is ugly. Depending on which scholar you read, Paul may have been not very attractive. He may have been small and hunchbacked, bow-legged, scarred and balding, with a hooked nose, shaggy eyebrows that met in the middle, and he had severe eye deformities. One interpreter said this. The legalists in the church at Corinth saw Paul and they said he could not have had the anointing power of God upon him or been a leader in the church because in the Old Testament, someone with the deformities that Paul had couldn't even enter into the temple to offer sacrifices, and so Paul could not have been the leader that he claimed to be. Or maybe Paul didn't look completely terrible, but his enemies seized on his unattractive appearance, and they had a field day with it. And the jealous false teachers got personal in their attacks about it. On top of that, many in the Corinthian church contend to live in selfishness. They continue to live in selfishness and sin. This was a church that had broken Paul's heart. Yet Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have received this ministry by God's grace, we do not lose heart. Since God has been so good to us, since He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die on the cross for our sin, since God loved us so much to send Jesus and to offer us salvation and one day life with Him in heaven forever, we're going to stay encouraged. We're not going to lose heart. Some of you may be like Paul. You need some encouragement this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good. I'm glad I got sit by you today. How many of you just lied? We all need encouragement. Life can be hard. 
Some of you have had a bad morning. I can tell by looking. Not really. Some of you have had a bad week, maybe a bad month, maybe a bad year. Some of you may be thinking, I've had a bad life. God doesn't say, follow me and life will be easy, but he does say, follow me and I'll be with you. I'll give you power for living, moment by moment and day by day. And today, I'm going to give you some reasons to stay encouraged. Reason number one, you have been given an incredible privilege. Think about it. We have the privilege of knowing God. We have the privilege of having a personal relationship with the God of this universe who sent His only begotten Son to die for us and is preparing a home in heaven for us to be with Him forever and ever. What an incredible privilege it is. And He doesn't just save you and leave you on your own. He is with you moment by moment and day by day through whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through. He says, I will be with you. I'll give you direction. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you power. I'll give you comfort. I'll give you what you need to live this Christian life. What an incredible privilege. Reason number two, God can use you no matter how weak you are. You may not be the brightest bulb in the socket. You may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. That's okay. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, you know who you are if it's you, okay? I'm kidding. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, I'm just a clay pot. Paul says, I'm just a dish made out of dirt. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, God's strength, however, is made perfect in the middle of our weaknesses. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Paul gets that. Paul says here in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side. The Greek verb here means to be under pressure. Many of you live in a world that's filled with pressure. Pressure at home, pressure at work, pressure at school, pressure with friends, pressure pressure with family, pressure with your health. You don't know what to do. Pressure to pay the bills. You don't know how you're going to pay them. Listen, Paul understood pressure. He had pressure like most of us have never known. He was beaten five times with 39 lashes with whips, beaten three times with rods. He had other countless beatings that he doesn't even mention. He was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned, literally hit with these huge rocks and left for dead. He was in and out and in and out of prison. He eventually would die a martyr's death most scholars believe, by having his head literally chopped off. Can you imagine? And on top of that, he says, I've got this constant pressure from these churches that I'm trying to lead, and they don't want to go in the direction that they need to go. I've constantly got to give encouragement and correction and help along the way. And the church at Corinth was the most difficult one of them all. Paul continues in verse 8. 
He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We may have some tough times, and we may experience our share of pressure, but praise God, we are not done yet. Paul continues in verse 8, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We may be at a loss, but we are not at a total loss, not as long as God is on the throne. We are persecuted, Paul goes on, but not forsaken. The word here for persecuted means to pursue. It's used of hunting a wild animal. Jews and Gentiles alike wanted to kill Paul. Everywhere he went, people were after him. They wanted him dead. He was persecuted by man, but he was never abandoned by God. Paul continues, We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. The Greek word here for struck down literally means to strike someone with a weapon. In New Testament times, that might have been with a stick or a rod or a sword or a blow of the forearm or fist. It was a word used in combat and in boxing and wrestling. We may be knocked down, but praise God, we will not be knocked out. We may lose some battles, but by God's grace, we will not lose the war. Here's another reason to stay encouraged. Those who stick with it see more results. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary. Say the word weary with me. Weary. You ever get tired? Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, in God's timing, we will reap a harvest. If we faint not, if we don't give up, if we don't quit, if we keep on by God's grace, following and trusting in Jesus Christ, we keep on sowing good seed, we will reap a harvest. Jennifer talked about that this morning with VVS. Keep on sowing those seeds. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Sometimes it may feel like it's in vain. Sometimes it may look like it's in vain. But it's not. God is using that for His glory and for impacting this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Why, Paul continues, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Yes, you may go through a lot in spite of being a Christian, or sometimes because you are a Christian. But when you keep your eyes on Jesus and you do it all for God's glory, He uses it to reveal Himself through you. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. How many have ever been to the movies? About 20 of you over here and about two of you, three of you, okay. Probably a lot of us have, right? Question. Why do people go to the movies? Now, i got to be honest with you. The reason why I go to the movies is for the popcorn and the soda, okay? Ask my wife. If I don't have popcorn... And I don't have a soda to drink. I don't want to go. But I'm weird, okay? We clarified that earlier. 
But the reason why most people go to the movies is for a different reason. Think about it. How many of you go to the movies because they just have an amazing blank screen? And you just want to stare at this 40-foot wide, 15-foot tall screen with nothing on it for the next two hours. Nobody goes to the movies for that, do they? Why do people go to the movies? Because they want to see the movie, right? Well, Jesus has called us not to be the movie, but to reflect the movie. To reflect the love and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ with our lives. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. It's our job to reflect Jesus Christ through our lives. It's not our job to draw attention to ourselves, but to present the movie, to present Jesus Christ. To a lost and dying world. In 2 Timothy 2.6, Paul compares the Christian to the hard-working farmer. Have I got any farmers in the room? Anybody here ever been farming, done farming, grew up farming? Got a few. All right, I got one right there, Trish. Yeah. If you've ever been a farmer, you know it can be hard work. It's seldom easy, and it's not always profitable. I enjoy this poster right here. Been farming long? Yeah. Seen it before? Why does a farmer work the hours that he works? Because he knows the prices are going to be tremendous. Well, not always. Because he knows he's going to be rich. Well, probably not. Listen, I've known a few farmers in my lifetime. My dad grew up farming. My mom grew up on a farm, but she didn't do much farming. But... She was a city girl, but she loves Jesus. But my dad grew up on a farm, didn't farm after he grew up, but he had two brothers who kept on farming. And my mom had five brothers, and four of them were lifetime farmers. And I remember being around them, and I remember going like to my Uncle Slick's house. That's what we called Uncle Slick, really, really great guy. And... Every time we would go to the house on the farm, you know what he would do? He would put us in the truck. Dad would sit in the front, and we would sit in the back. By back, I don't mean back seat, okay? I mean in the back, okay? And you know what we do? Rick, we would drive around the farm. We would check out all the fields. We would go down this field road and that field road and this road and that road. And we would spend like two hours checking out farm. Because that was who he was. Farmers do what they do because that's who we are. Farming is not just a, a part of their life. It is their life. Listen, if you're a Christian, being a Christian is not just part of your life. It is your life. Colossians 3, 4 says, Christ is your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit by abiding in Jesus Christ. Christianity is not just a part of our life. If you're a Christian, it is your life. You don't just do Christianity. You are a Christian if you're a follower of Jesus. Here's another reason why farmers work hard. Even though the prices may not always be good and the rain may not always come, they figure they got a better chance of harvesting a crop if they keep on sowing seed. If they keep on cultivating the ground, if they keep on getting it water, if they keep on farming. Same is true for us. How many of you think that if you invite 100 people to church in the next 30 days, you got a better chance of somebody coming to church than if you invited nobody? Right? How many of you think if you shared the gospel with 20 people in the next 30 days, you got a better chance of somebody receiving Christ as their Savior and Lord than if you didn't share the gospel with anybody. Now, none of us can save anybody, but we are to be on mission in this world, sharing the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And the more that we share His love, the more response that we see, and the more response that we see, the more Jesus Christ is lifted up by others who come into Him for the honor and glory of His name. That leads us to another reason to stay encouraged. You do it for the good of others. In verse 12, Paul says, So then... Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In verse 15, Paul says, all of this is for your benefit. Paul says, in essence, this whole following Jesus thing isn't always easy for me, but I'm going to keep on doing it because it's helping you. Some of you may feel like giving up. Let me encourage you to stay in there with God. Think about it. Do you think it's going to have a more powerful impact on your family in a positive way if you just kind of drop out of church and quit following Jesus or if you keep on following Jesus in every circumstance of your life? Do you think you'll have a greater impact on people that you work with or people that you go to school with or people that you're friends with if you keep on trusting and following Jesus Christ or you just kind of quit following Jesus Christ or you kind of stop going to church or you quit following, trusting, obeying Him and just kind of go through the motions. Obviously, you have a greater impact if you keep on trusting in and following Jesus Christ with all of your life. Amen? Think you have a greater impact on others if you keep on praying for them and keep on sharing the love of Jesus with people than if you just kind of go through the motions and just say, I don't want to do this anymore. Absolutely. We do this to impact others. But we don't have to do it in our own power. 2 Peter 1.3 says, God's divine power has given you everything you need. Say everything with me. Everything you need for life and godliness. Philippians 1.6 says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jay, he's not done with you yet. Mickey, he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet, James. He is still at work in this world. He's not done with you yet, is he? 
He's just getting started. Here's another reason to stay encouraged. You do it for God's glory. Verse 15 continues. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. If there were no other reason, that would be reason enough. Just for God's glory. If nobody pays attention to you, if nobody listens to your message, if nobody is saved because you went out and shared the gospel a hundred times, if nobody comes to church and you invited a hundred people for next Sunday, guess what? You're not a failure. You're a success because you're doing what you do for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And that's reason enough, is it not? Now, we want people to come, and we want people to be saved, absolutely. But we do it for the glory of God. Here's another reason to be encouraged. Life is short, and eternity is long. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Here's the question. Anybody in this room over 50 willing to admit it? How about 60? How about 70? Anybody here over 80? When you get over 80, you just don't care, do you, ladies? I'll tell you how old I am, right? I'm proud of it. But have you noticed, when you're 50 years old, you probably can't run as fast as you could at age 15. Is that right? You got any teenagers in the room? You could probably outrun your parents. Definitely outrun your grandparents, right? As we get older, these bodies, they kind of start wearing out, right? Get more aches and pains and more physical issues and problems, right? It happens. How many of you have ever do what I do? You look in the mirror and say, who is that old guy? I mean, I shouldn't be looking like this, right? I should be looking good. I need to wear some makeup or something. And we can try to delay it. Or disguise it. You know, I don't think many of the guys do, but ladies, you put on makeup and and uh, we go to the gym and we run or we walk or we might go swimming or lifting weights or something to try to stay in shape. But no matter how hard we try, guess what? This physical body will continue to wear out. I have never seen an 80-year-old that thought, you know, they must be about 20. How about you? No, our physical body, our outer self is wasting away. We can try to fight it all we want to, but you're not made to live in this physical body forever. Verse 16 continues. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You cannot stop your outer body from decaying, but here's some good news. By God's grace and through His power, 
you can keep your inner self growing. This outward physical body is not made to live forever, but you will live forever. Question, are you taking care of your physical body? That's a good thing, right? I recommend it. But the greater question is this. How much attention are you giving to your inner self? Are you cultivating your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that's going to last forever. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you renewing your mind moment by moment and day by day in the things of God? 2 Peter 1, 5 says, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. He doesn't say we're going to just coast through this life. He says, no, we're going to make every effort to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. In verse 18, Paul says, we look not at the things which are seen, but things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That the things which are seen, they don't last. But the things that are not seen, they last forever. If you really believe that, it will transform the way that you live your life. Because you live your life with eternity in mind, not simply for what you can see with your physical eye. Houses come and go. Vehicles come and go. Health comes and goes. But Jesus Christ, in our relationship with Him, lasts forever and ever and ever. Go to verse 17. We'll be done. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory Far beyond all comparison. When I read that, it tells me that that life is not always easy. Paul said, though, that the trouble that we have in this world is momentary and it's light. Think about who's writing that. The Apostle Paul. Think about what he went through probably went through more than any of us in this room have ever gone through. And yet he says, in comparison to this eternal weight of glory, what I'm going through is light and it's momentary. And the idea here, as I understand it, is that as we handle the circumstances of this life for the glory of God, Trusting in Jesus Christ and giving it all to Him and being those who lift up the name of Christ and give Him glory in the middle of our struggle and pain. It brings Him glory and also lays up for you an eternal treasure that's much greater than any issue, problem, or struggle you may have in this life. So when you have the issue, you have the problem, you have the struggle, it's an opportunity not only to glorify God down here, but to lay up even more treasure in heaven up there to the glory of God.